0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into episode number 122 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Matthew chapter 20 today, and our focus is on how Jesus is the son of David. Wait a minute, I thought his father's name was Joseph. Well, we are a daily 10-minute podcast, give or take a couple of minutes, where we dig into one chapter of the Bible a day and discuss it. Thanks for listening. I want to encourage you to check out our webpage, Bible2021.com, and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. When you find something repeated in the Bible, you can always know, since the Word of God is inspired by the unerring and intentional Holy Spirit, that the repetition is there for a very important reason. For instance, in Isaiah 6, the seraphim cry, holy, 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 not because they have nothing else to say, but because repetition in Hebrew is a way of enhancing and emphasizing That Jesus, for three chapters in a row now, keeps teaching us about greatness in the kingdom of heaven being fundamentally and profoundly different from greatness in the eyes of humanity is not unintentional. Consider his words today yet again on the true meaning of greatness. This is verses 25-28. through Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Though that's not our main focus for, today it is such an important teaching of jesus one honestly that is often ignored by christians that i can't read through this passage today and not emphasize it jesus tells his disciples that people in power often revel in their power and abuse it but for followers of jesus we must not ever do that sort of thing if we want to be great and i hope we do We have to be servants. Jesus is our model. He did not come to have people serve him. He came to serve. So must we model that kind of humility and character. And look, don't blame me for talking about this three days in a row. (laughs) Blame Matthew, I suppose, who points us to these truths in three chapters in a row. Let's go ahead and read our chapter today. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out at about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work in the burning heat? He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, See, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and on the third day he will be raised. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? We're able, they said to him. Jesus told them, You will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped, called them, and said, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said to him, Open our eyes. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. So these amazing blind men, who see better than most, call Jesus the son of David. Well, what does this mean? Jesus' dad was named Joseph, at least in a human sense. Well, to understand what we're talking about here, we need to go all the way back to the Old Testament. Like, 950 to a 1,000 years back, actually maybe even further back than that, to David, a man after God's own heart. In First Chronicles 17, we see King David declaring his intention and desire to build a temple for God to house the Ark of the Covenant and to be a place where God dwells on the earth. So the prophet Nathan, a mighty man of God, tells David to do all that he desires to do because God is with him. However, it appears that Nathan might have spoken there a bit presumptuously. Certainly he's right. God was with David, but David had been a warrior. He had spilled blood and God desired a man of peace to build his house. So God sends a pointed message to David, basically saying that he was not to build God's house, but his son would build God's house. Now as Nathan is explaining the situation to David, God speaks a particular set of promises through the mouth of Nathan. We read them in first Chronicles seventeen, ten through fourteen, which says, Furthermore, I declare to you that the Lord Himself will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. So this is an incredible promise, and David does not seem to be disappointed in the least Uh, about the whole not being able to build the house of God thing, but he responds to this promise from Nathan by coming into the Lord's presence and praying a great prayer of thanksgiving. Decades later, King Solomon, son of David, would indeed go on to build a magnificent temple, exactly as Nathan foretold. Except, if you really read all of what Nathan says... And you look at what Solomon did, you actually see that Solomon did not fulfill this prophetic word fully, only partially. Towards the end of his life, for instance, Solomon at least partly fell away from God, and his throne and kingdom were most certainly not established forever. Solomon was not appointed over God's house and kingdom forever, moreover, and his kingship ended after just a few decades. So what gives? Was God exaggerating somehow? Did Nathan misspeak? Absolutely not. This is what we call dual fulfillment in biblical prophecy. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. A prophecy of God is partially fulfilled in the near future and then completely fulfilled later on. For instance, we read about it just a few days ago, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, talking about a virgin birth. Now, Isaiah's wife did have a child, which was a partial, soon fulfillment of that prophecy. But the prophecy of the virgin conceiving and bringing forth a child was not fully fulfilled until the birth of Jesus around 700 years later. It simply cannot be that God, through Nathan, was talking about the eternal kingdom of Solomon, God was talking about another son or descendant of David, of course, Jesus. And the house that Jesus would build would not be made of brick and mortar, but would be the household of God, the church, the people saved by Jesus. Now, this is not just me guessing. We also, around 200 years after the death of Solomon, we see Isaiah the prophet foretelling the coming of the son of David. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. He says, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And of course, that prophecy goes on and on in Isaiah chapter 11. Now, one more amazing thing here. In all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only people that identify Jesus as the son of David prior to the triumphant entry at the very end of Jesus's ministry. The only people that identify him as the son of David are the Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman and blind people. A foreigner and people who can't see are the ones who really and truly see who Jesus is. Now, the gospel writers do not in any way hint to us about this remarkable truth, but I kind of see it myself as almost sort of a modern-day Easter egg that is sort of a surprising thing hidden in the text that the Holy Spirit caused to happen. That these blind people and this precious foreign woman, the Syrophoenician woman, would recognize Jesus as the Son of David is fascinating. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Let's close with our Bible memory verse for the month of May. It is three verses, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 the Great Commission. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you today, dear friends, with a wonderful Lord's Day. Good day to you and Godspeed.